Thanks for choosing to spend time in the studio with Michael Card. What you're about to hear in this podcast was recorded several years ago in Franklin, Tennessee. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed since this was first broadcast, the messages discussed in these conversations still ring true. This session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more about the CSB translation online when you visit csbible.com. Listen now to this program from the archives. is in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We're coming to you as always from Franklin, Tennessee. Michael, it just occurs to me we should have underwriting from the Chamber of Commerce here in Franklin. Oh, we need to look into that. You know, the mayor is in empty hands. Really? Oh, yeah. Tom okay. Miller. Well, we're closer than I thought. Yeah, consider that done. <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. But it is a wonderful place to come and to experience community together, yeah. even here on the radio. And listeners know we value that very highly. Yes, so. that's what we're all about is community. And we both have big grins in our faces today because of the oh. guest who's going to join us in a moment. Can we, should we say now or should sure. we keep? go ahead. Uh, Pastor Don Cole is here, uh, my hero. <laughs> Came all the way from Chicago. I, I can hardly believe you're here. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. It's fun to hang with you guys. It isn't unprecedented. He was here once before. I know, but that was too long ago. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, we'll get to Pastor Cole here in just a moment. We're going to open with a song. By the way, coming up in the second half, Dr. Lyle Dorsett is going to be with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about military chaplaincies here today on the program. And then a friend of ours, Mark Gregson, is going to stop by. Mark's a good guy from Texas. Talk so. to us about parenting. Right. We'll yeah. talk to those uh, guests in the second half of the program, Don Cole in the first half. But we're going to begin with a song from you today, Michael. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus on the Psalms with Pastor yeah. Cole here in just a moment. And the song we've chosen to ask you to sing to start is Star Kindler. What's the connection with the Psalms here? Well, uh, there are a couple of psalms that, uh, that speak of the Creator God uh, who creates the moon. The moon is his faithful witness, that sort of thing. And uh, I don't know where, in, in some old Irish poetry, I saw this metaphor for God. A new name for God is a pretty exciting thing to, to find. And in, in this one hymn, uh, God was referred to as the star kindler, that is, the one who kindled, who set good, a, yeah. a fire the stars. And so this is an Irish song that tries to capture some of those ideas. Psalm 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Here's Michael Carr to sing Star Kindler for us.
light that travels far Began the trip from his fingertips The wonder of the stars Confirmed the signs and seasons So silently they sing Of the wonder of their kindler Of the power of their king Michael Card with Star Kindler here in the studio with Shinoa Alamo, Alamo is her mm-hmm. married name now, and Ken Lewis keeping time with you yeah. there, percussion-wise. Shinoa got married, and, and they've had a little girl since then, too. Wow. So, uh, it's been much too long since we've had her here. Yeah. Let's talk about the Psalms today with Pastor Don Cole, a very special guest here, Michael. Mm. We want to focus on Psalm 8 and and talk about uh, this preoccupation, I guess, uh, that David has with God is the creator and how God's creation expresses who he is. And uh, Psalm 8, I think, is a great example of uh, the same sort of thing we see in Psalm 19 as well, where David goes from heavens and all that's out there and all the glory and the majesty, but then being the sort of thinker that he was, all of a sudden he sort of steps back and says, how is it that you care about us? You know, what is man and he's even almost more in, in, in awe of the fact that God cares about him, this God who created the moon and the stars and, and all the rest. One of the fascinating things which you undoubtedly know is that the source book, so to speak, for David's Psalms is the book of Genesis and the book of Job. Hmm. There are allusions to these books more than any other place. Of course, he hmm. didn't have the New Testament or the rest of the Bible, But when I read Psalm 8, my mind often goes to Genesis chapter 1. Mm. And there's that little expression after he talks about making the sun and the moon. It says, he also made the stars. I get a bang out of that. (laughs) Just sort of as an aside. Yeah, yeah. he made the stars. No big deal. That's the frosting on the cake, right? He made the stars. (laughs) But what David seems to be seeing here, saying here, is that uh, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. By the way, I remember many years ago hearing a preacher contrast the Lord's right arm and the work of his fingers. Hmm. The work of his fingers were creation, but it takes the metaphor of his right arm to talk about salvation. Hmm. Wow. Just little things like that of no importance at all, Uh but they tickle me. (laughs) So it said... What is man that you are mindful of him? Mm. Meaning, I see these magnificent things. How much more magnificent is man because of all you've done? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Mm. You've made him ruler all of the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet. In other words, how can we estimate the value of people. If uh, we were to continue, he might have said, when I consider not only the work of your fingers, when I consider also the fact that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, Mm. what is man? Mm. 
And, you know, people out there in the unsaved world want to talk about us as if we were up from the slime. Yeah. As if we were simply intelligent, rational beasts. Well, even when I hear on the, on the uh, science channels and people talking about the Earth, the Earth is this insignificant speck next to an insignificant yeah. sun. And, 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 and I think you're right. They, they want to they make things uh, not matter. But um, they denigrate the value of human beings. Yeah, the whole theory of evolution diminishes mankind. But Paul David says, "You look at those stars; they're the work of his fingers. Hmm. Hmm. You look at mankind, and here you see people made in the image of God. Hmm. And of course, he can envision much more than this. We know that in Acts chapter two. Peter speaks of him being a prophet and foreseeing the resurrection mm-hmm. of the Lord. David was one sharp dude. Mm. Well, now, you, you, you talked about uh, Job being one of the sources uh, for David's psalms. Well, it, it seems to me, I mean, tell me, tell me if I'm right, but it seems like one of the things we're getting here is perspective. I mean, Job is all about perspective, right? Uh, he, he, he needs a good dose of perspective to understand who he is and who God is. And that sounds like the same thing David is, is struggling with. I think so. Yeah. I know he was amazed, astonished. We in the technological age have lost the ability to be astonished. Mm. Mm. Can't you picture the shepherd boy David out under those skies, though, mm. looking up and wondering about these things? Yes, he could see them moving. When I was a city boy mm. in Chicago... It would really never occur to me, if not for preachers in school, to think that stars move. (laughs) Mm. But when we lived in Africa, one of my favorite uh, occupations in the month of June was to watch the Southern Cross as it came up from the edge of the earth Mm. south of us. We'd see it moving farther and farther north so that in the middle of the month, at about 9 or 10 at night, it was directly overhead. Mm. You're talking to the right guy here, Michael Card. You oh, know yeah, what an astronomer is my, is my he thing. is, right? Oh, it's my thing. I've n- and I've never seen the Southern Cross. I've been to Australia, but it was always too uh, too cloudy to see it. That was a big disappointment. Well, where we were, there were no clouds at that time of the year. Wow. It was fun to watch it. Mm. Well, and, and, and the, the image that you just uh, you mentioned from Africa, and I think back uh, about Abraham, God saying, come on outside and look up. See all those stars? You know, again, sort of pointing to the fact that, you know, your descendants, they're going to be like uh, this numerous, you know, and pointing back to the stars. And and again, trying to give Abraham some perspective. You know, he has no idea. He's this wandering Aramean. And God says, I, you know, I'm going to do something with your life. I'm going to do something with you. And I've got plans for you. Yeah, Abraham was thinking in terms of one son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So God shows him stars. Wow. And then he points to the sand of the seashore. You can't count the stars. You can't count the sand. It says something. It gives us a perspective about Emmanuel's land. Hmm. How many people are going to be there? Hmm. Too many to count. God is going to populate the, the world that he is about to create with all of those from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to the end, those who've in some way, come into contact with him. Mm. Well, let's uh, go from mm. the bigness to the inside, so to speak, because Psalm 139 is where we want to go to next. Michael's going to sing for us here in just a moment, Search Me. 
Psalm 139 is David's psalm where he says, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know me when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me. And then, of course, as everyone knows, as this psalm goes on, it gets right into the, inside the womb. Yeah. You know me. So, There's no place I can go that you're not there. When I was younger, that would be kind of scary. I remember when I was a small child, we had a text in the bedroom. Thou, God, seest me. <laughs> Have mercy. <laughs> and yet you go back to the source of that, and that's Hagar. Mm. Yeah, you're the God who sees me. That's uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. Yes. Hagar thought that, just she, read was, that yeah. she was going to die. She was going to starve to death or mm. die of thirst with her son. And that was a new idea for her, I think. Mm-hmm. It was indeed. Yeah. That's what she named the well, the name of the God who sees me. Yeah. Meaning, he sees me lost here. He's looking after mm. me. It's, of course, Job called him a spy up there in the mm-hmm. sky. He said, "Look away from me. Leave me alone for a while." Yeah, you looker. At one point, <laughs> and then you call him, "You're the looker." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is this is a beautiful psalm. We quote it frequently. Verse 14 says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. This is the NLT version. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, mm-hmm. as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. Yeah, and then verse 16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If that's not a reason for encouragement... I'm going to ask Michael to sing for us here right now, Don. Uh, I know you'd like to hear this guy sing once in a while, right? I'd like to hear him sing every day if I could. (laughs) All right. Michael, sing for us. The song is called Search Me as we talk about Psalm 139 here in the studio. Search me, Lord, 
I think that most readers of the psalm regard this as magnificent poetry, but the last couple of verses are a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When he says, search me and know my heart, he understands, of course, that God knows everything in his heart, but what he's asking for is that God will reveal it to him. So is this David finally surrendering to this knowledge that there's no place he can go and that God can look into his heart and see what's there? I think he is. I think he also longs, as does every true believer, for inner purity. Hmm. All of us feel, especially as we get older, this is one of the tragedies, maybe it's one of the good things about old age, that you become more and more conscious of inner defects, of failure to measure up to your own standards, much less those of God or the Bible. So when you say, search me, O God, and know my heart, you link that with the last line here, lead me in the way everlasting. Don't just show me what a bum I am. Mm-hmm. Lead me out of this morass. Give me light at the end of the day. So he puts the onus back on God. Yes, he does. Hmm. But never entirely, because David has an awful lot to say about confession of sin. And we talk about the penitential psalms. I suppose the best known of them is the 51st. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, let's turn there right now. I'm just wondering, as we turn there... We know, or do we know, we we surmise that David uh, wrote Psalm 51 after the episode with Bathsheba, correct? Well, there's a superscription that says that that's in the text. Okay. Yeah. But we have no idea where it comes in relation to something like Psalm 139. Well, well, that was my question, Don. Do we know, did he write 139 before or after? Is is there any way to know? There really isn't, I I wouldn't think. I don't think there's any way to know. Yeah. The rabbis put the titles on these psalms, and many psalms we can put in chronological order correctly because of the internal contents. But this is a psalm that does not reveal anything except that this was no kid writing this. Mm-hmm. This nev- was no shepherd boy. I'll never forget you saying about Psalm 23, and this is an aside here, that mm-hmm. that was not written by a young man. No, it wasn't. Hmm. There are many psalms in which David deplores the sins of his youth and the circumstances, the internal evidence, they say, in in the in classrooms tells us when it was written mm-hmm. but we don't know here well take us to psalm 51 then Don. have mercy on me O god according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. I can't stop thinking about it. Hmm. And that was not some trivial stuff, like losing his cool or cheating in some way. 
it was uh, the sin with Bathsheba. At least that is the the title of the psalm is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And these titles are very ancient. They're older than the New Testament. That was one of the questions I had for you. Mm -hmm. They're very ancient. And nobody has a pretty good reason for calling into question the accuracy of that. Okay. Especially as you read it. Well, whether he wrote 139 before or after Psalm 51, I still see, and in, in, in really even more in 51, that David is saying, God, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to have mercy. You're going to have to wash me. You're going to have to blot out. You're going to have to cleanse. He, he keeps realizing maybe, maybe because he's blown it so completely that if, if anything is going to be done, God's going to have to do something about it almost— yeah. Um, and I realize that could that could become um, misused by people. Oh well, it's I'll just let God do it all. I'm just going to be a quietist well, or something. Hebrew brings a whole new dimension to sin. Something you don't find in the sacrificial system, in all of the talk in Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. When he says, "Against you, mm. you only have I sinned." Yeah, now that's troubled me when I think, well, what about Bathsheba? Hmm. What about, well, you know, Uzziah? And Uzziah. Okay, okay. And the thing about Uriah is that's the great sin. 1 Kings chapter 15 Uh says David had never done anything wrong except in the matter Hmm. of Uriah. Mm -hmm. That was the sin. But here, a king, if he wanted all of the women in the the country, he could have had them. Mm -hmm. But David is confessing that it was a sin against you because it was you, not Uriah, who said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Ah, okay. It was you, and it is you, the holy God, who makes what we do sin. So he knew that he had violated the very character of that's God. That's right, that's right. Hmm. He flaunted the character of God by what he did. So it's against you have I sinned. Oh, I know all about Bathsheba and all about. Uriah, but it's it's you who distinguish between good and evil and who tell the king what he can do and what he can't do. I've sinned against you. Mm. And what I've done is evil in your sight. A lot of people, the worst people in the kingdom, would think, oh, no big deal. But then you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Then I've said that it brings a whole new dimension to the issue of sin. This line here, surely I was sinful at birth. Where do you find that elsewhere? Hmm. This he's got he's getting us into Romans. He's jumping ahead here. <laughs> well, and I think of I think of the disciples asking Jesus, "Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" This idea that you could actually sin in the womb, and that's how we explain birth defects and blindness yeah, and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's that's what the Jews actually thought. You mentioned David um, recognizing his sin before God and how that was so radical a thought. And then you read verse 17, the sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken, yeah. repentant heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Yeah. And, and you said that he was going beyond the old sacrificial system, and that's that's really what those two verses talk about. It's not bulls and goats. It's not blood. It's... Oh. 
brokenness and brokenness. repentance? I, I have to say, I don't think there's a serious Christian anywhere who has not made this prayer his at his bedside more than once during the course of a lifetime. Hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm accusing you of adultery. I'm simply saying that there comes a moment, many moments in the life of serious Christians when they grasp the fact that they are essentially sinful. It's a very shattering experience that is repeated. And so you come to verses such as, hide your face from my sins. Yeah. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then he thinks of Saul, and he says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. That's what happened to Saul. Lord, let it not happen to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I like to say about 17 is, sacrifices, broken spirit, and a contrite heart, is that all, all that David has left is all God ever really wanted in the first place. That's right. You this like is that? a popular theme in the prophets, too. The broken spirit, the contrite heart. Well, that's the lesson for us. We're not just reading this just to say what uh, interesting thoughts from David. This applies to us. Uh, we need to be that repentant for our own sin. Um, Michael, you have a song. We're going to conclude our segment here, Don, with Michael singing Just As I Am. I know this goes back a long ways in your life and in mine, too. We all love this. I think Billy Graham popularized it, but we were born and weaned on it. Yeah. <laughs> wonder how many people have walked the aisle while this know. song is being sung. Know. Sing it for us, Michael. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just As I Am, a great song on this classic edition, and there's more on the way in the second half. There's more about Michael's music and books, including his newest release titled The Nazarene at michaelcard.com. You can email your comments and questions to us in the studio at michaelcard.com. That's in the studio at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll help get the word out about this weekly digital gathering by posting a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing the link on your favorite social media platform. Well, coming up, more music and conversation on this classic session after this message in the studio with Michael Card.
Well, Michael, this month we're featuring the day-by-day chronological Bible. I'm so glad that we get to feature this important Bible edition from my good friend, Dr. George Guthrie. George has been with us many times, and we've appreciated his scholarship and ability to make the Bible understandable. That's why we want to point you to the day-by-day chronological Bible. This study tool combines a daily reading plan with a unique way of tracing the flow of God's action through history. We're always encouraging people to consistently read the Bible, and this resource can be your guide through God's Word this year. Start by visiting csbible.com and search for day-by-day chronological Bible. When you order, receive your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. Search for the day-by-day chronological Bible now at csbible.com. And we are back in the studio with Michael Card. Coming up in a few minutes, Mark Gregston's going to stop by. Mark is a, a parenting guy. He he really helps parents of teenagers yeah. especially. Great so, heart. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk with Mark here coming up in a few minutes. But right now, every time we have this next guest on with us, Michael, we say we've got to go to where he is. Yeah, down Birmingham. But we haven't done that yet. And that wouldn't be too long of a trip. If you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. Okay, well, we got this afternoon, right? Well, <laughs> Lyle Dorsett, welcome back in the studio with us. Thank you. Good to be back. You're with Beeson Divinity School, part of Samford University there in Birmingham, and uh, we are going to make that road trip someday. Are you prepared for that? Oh, we are. We'll oh. roll out the red carpet. <laughs> we'll even cook some popcorn for you, because oh. I hear you guys eat popcorn yeah, before well, 9 in the morning. <laughs> Who's giving away our secrets? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Let's talk about chaplaincy, military chaplaincy, Michael. Yeah, I I only really know much about this uh, from the the navigators. They have such a great outreach to to the military, and uh, as I told you before, uh, um, um, my my grandfather was a a, a chaplain uh, in World War One. So that's sort of my my uh, connection with this topic. But uh, Dr. Dorset, um, help us to understand more about the scope of this uh, unique ministry. Well, this is a fabulous ministry, and I have been interested in it the last three or four years. I, I've always had a keen interest in World War II, and, and I'm gathering the data for a book on the military chaplaincy during mm. World War II. And there are so many autobiographies out there. Many of them are very obscure, but biographies and autobiographies of World War II chaplains, it gives you a glimpse. And uh, <clears throat> then the National Archives has records on these chaplains. And it's just a it's a fabulous story, and these are the men that go in and and try to encourage and walk with and and help the the men and women and in World War II it was mostly the men that were out on the front line. Yeah, uh, but there to pray with them, walk with them. I mean, you got chaplains who are back in the tent hospitals or back on the home front, but you had quite a few chaplains who had helmets on and they were right up on the front line. Mm-hmm. Many of them were killed. I don't remember the title of the book, but I read the story recently of, the, of those chaplains who went down on the ship together. Are you familiar right. with that story? That, that, that story of the four chaplains that, uh, that went down, it's a fabulous story. And uh, there were two Protestants, a Catholic, and a Jewish chaplain. Hmm. And they went down on the USS Dorchester, which mm-hmm. was a, it was a troop-carrying ship going across the North Atlantic. And uh, those four chaplains gave away their life vests. Wow. To men that didn't have them. And the four of them were praying together and singing together as the ship went under because the guys that were out there in the water and saw it testified to it. Wow. They were 
four profiles in courage. Mm. But that's happening today, no doubt. It happens today. I have a dear friend, a young man whose wedding I did just this past summer, and did his wedding out in Colorado. His name uh, is uh, Caleb Curlin. Now, he's not a chaplain. He is a lieutenant in the infantry. But he has a brother named David Curlin who is in Iraq who is a military chaplain. Hmm. So there's a family with uh, guys on the front lines. One of them on the front line is a chaplain. The other is an infantry officer. What kind of attacks are the chaplains under now? I, I, every now and then I'll hear just sort of a ripple in the news, uh, you know, about restrictions that are being placed on them. I mean, is there is there much going on in that area? There's a lot going on in that mm. area, and it's uh, today the pressures are so strong for everything to be politically correct. Right. And the pressures are for chaplains not to, if they're Christians, not to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, not to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I'm sure there's some that would even like to see the, the program eliminated altogether. Oh, they would, and it's absurd how many, I mean, there's, you know, it's not just Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish chaplains that we have. We got chaplains for, you know, every imaginable fringe type of religion you can think of out there, and we're having to support that, despite the fact that the vast majority of the troops are Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, But in World War II, the chaplains were Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish. And for the most part, those three groups got along pretty well together and, and did quite a bit to to help people overcome some of, you know, not change their religious views necessarily, but to overcome some of their prejudices against one another. Hmm. Well, with uh, thankfulness for what's being done today, tell us some of those, uh, some of the research you've been doing in the World War II era, military chaplains. Well, the in the in the army alone, there were nine thousand chaplains in World War II. Hmm. And the chief of army chaplains required that every one of those chaplains write a monthly report. And the National Archives has all those reports. And it is a fabulous collection. You've wow. got these reports from, from men who were all over the world fighting in the, along with the troops who were fighting in the Pacific, in Europe, in North Africa. It, it, it's a fabulous collection. And they describe what they've been doing, what's going on. I wonder and, if anybody's tapped into that much before now. Well, there, there's a, a splendid book that was done, oh, about a decade ago uh, by a Roman Catholic, by a Jesuit on, it's called Battlefield Chaplains, and it's on Roman Catholic chaplains. Mm-hmm. And in that, I read that book when it came out, and he said in there, we need a book on Protestant chaplains. Wow. Well, that sort of spurred my interest. And then as I began to do research, I decided I can't do this book right without doing Catholics, Protestants, and Jews. So mm-hmm. I'm doing all three because there's so much overlap on things. So, Not on their theology necessarily or their doctrines, and I don't downplay that, mm-hmm. but the fact that they would stand in the gap. Do, do you have time for me to tell you one story about Abs- this? Absolutely. I've just finished a biography of A.W. Tozer. Mm-hmm. Tozer's son, well, he had six sons. Four of them were in World War II. One of them was on an aircraft carrier in World War II. It was Aiden W. Tozer, Jr. Wow. He was a Protestant and grew up in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. On board his ship, he wrote to his father, and he said, My Protestant chaplain is very liberal. He's very cold. He's very aloof. And uh, on the other hand, the Roman Catholic chaplain on the ship grabs me by the hand. He prays for me. He encourages me. He says, What do you make of this? What should I do? And his dad wrote back to him, and I think it was a factor that began to tenderize 
some of Tozer's anti-Catholic sentiments. He said, if that man is encouraging you in your faith and encouraging you as a naval man, you hang in with him. Mm. And those are some of the kinds of things that happened that were, that were good. Mm. A lot of men came to Christ through the efforts of the chaplains, and uh, uh, not a few uh, turned <laughs> because of them. Mm-hmm. And, but overall, it was a very positive picture. Well, Michael, going back to your grandfather, I mean, that just, that tells a story that he, in World War I, yeah. was a military, do, have any of those stories survived in the family? Well, I, I have actually all of the, the postcards. Uh, my mother, he, my mother was just about three, two or three years old, and uh, he, he wrote her postcard from everywhere, and I've got a stack of those postcards, and um, and she actually didn't know him. I mean, when, when she was maybe a year old when he left, and when he got back, she... Uh, she didn't know him, but she called him Daddy Boy. You know the oh. the Doughboys or whatever. You know, sure. whatever, yeah. So when he when he came back, she was uh, to, in the train station with his uniform and all that. She was actually uh, a little bit afraid of him, but but he would always sign these postcards, and they're mostly from France. I think that's where he he was mostly stationed. But he would always sign it, your daddy boy. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I don't have any good stories. At least I, I need to go and, and ask my, my family that knew him if, if there are any good stories from that time in his life. You know, Michael, you, you, you did that marvelous book, The Walk. Mm-hmm. You ought to think about another book now, The Walk in Face in the War, and, uh, and edit those postcards and get a picture of. You know Daddy what? boy and all that. I think it'd be wonderful. Well, I'm going to e- email you. His, I actually carry that picture of him in my Bible, uh, just as as the idea of, of of a Christian warrior. I mean, here's a guy who really faced, uh, you know, battle. I think he was one of those chaplains that was right up there on the front lines, and that was trench warfare, which, which I would I would imagine a chaplain's role uh, was a little different when when you're in the trenches than. Uh, than it is today. I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, but it, that was a that that war was a uh, unspeakable uh, suffering that those men on both sides went through. Oh, it was a horrid yeah. war. It was a war of of horrid carnage. Yeah. And uh, no, but those chaplains, especially those up on the front lines, had a profound impact. Yeah. Well, it's really good for us to look back to see their contributions, so that we understand better today and know how to pray for those who are in the, who are chaplains today in the military. Yeah, that's right. Because and, those guys don't have any sidearms, they don't have rifles, they're defenseless, yet mm. they're right there with the men, mm-hmm. just like the just like the medics are. Yeah. Yep. Well, the safest place to be is where God wants you to be. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would encourage listeners, just from my experience with this, if you're interested in finding out more, uh, the Navigators really are uh, very aggressive yes. in supporting the chaplaincy program. So the na- check the Navigators out. And I also know Campus Crusade for Christ. Really? Uh, their military uh, ministry uh, uh-huh. reaches out in this way and provides them with materials as well. So Good. there are resources out there. We just need to learn how to support them and pray for them. We do. So. Good. Thank now, you, Dr. Dorsett. Now, are you going to be going up to the archives and working through all that uh, material anytime soon? Well, God willing, I'm going. I, I spent some time there this past summer wow. in the uh, annex in Maryland, and I, God willing, I'll be back again this summer digging through it. I'm I've got a lot of clay I'm pulling together. I'm getting ready to shape it into a, yeah. <laughs> into a final product. But well, it's, it's been I've been blessed. God has blessed me looking at these things. Well, I, I, I'll be praying for uh, some clarity and some strength as you organize all that stuff. Uh, be, be encouraged. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Lyle. Nice to talk with you today. And coming up, we're going to talk with Mark Gregston of Heartlight Radio in just a few moments. But, Michael, how about a song here in the studio today? The Sunrise of Your Smile just seems right right now. So this will help us to get ready to talk about parenting. Sunrise of Your Smile. Michael, thank you for singing for us again in the studio here today. One of the joys we have is the people who stop by here each week. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've got uh, somebody in today from Texas. We'll even let a Texan into the room. <laughs> yeah, we will condescend to men of low estate, just like the Bible says. And let us come up. That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> Mark Gregson is the executive director of Heartlight Ministries. Now, Mark, explain what Heartlight is all about. Heartlight's a residential program for kids that um, come from all over the country. They're going through tough times. They come and live with us about a year, and we work with them and their families to get them back home. They're struggling mm-hmm. teens and families who are struggling as well. Yeah, it's just a terrific ministry. Mike, what you need to know about Mark is that 
I think you said you've performed like 400 wedding ceremonies yeah. oh my of, of, yeah. of young people. Kids that were part of your program? Yeah. Isn't that oh remarkable? Oh, my goodness. Does that give you hope or oh what? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have friends who are pastors who, you know, who end up marrying people, and I, and I always say, how can you do that? I would be so nervous that the, too much responsibility. <laughs> too much responsibility. I, I, I have a, uh, a prenup going into it that's you about do. me, that I'm not responsible for anything <laughs> okay. once uh, they go okay. into it. So. Both of y'all sign this. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, a little inside secret here is that uh, while we do in the studio right here in your studio, Michael, Mark has a radio show that I'm privileged to be a part of as well called Heartlight Radio that is done in these same facilities. Right, so. and so we get to hang out. I mean, the yeah. the, the four or the five of us, depending on who, who yes. all is here, we right. get to hang out uh, a yeah. lot together almost every month now. Yes, right. So that's a good that's yeah. a good thing for me. Yeah. This is our segment, Mark, where we like to talk about creativity. And of course, uh, Michael's uh, big on that, as you may expect. And uh, we thought we'd talk about being a creative parent here today. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure you've got some things to share about that from your own experience as a parent, but also as you uh, minister and you give seminars all over the country on uh, you know, dealing with struggling teens. I do. And, and you know, I, I think if I would raise my kids the way that I was raised, it would have been a very, very boring experience. And and uh, I think somewhere along the line, parents lose that opportunity to mm. to just experience and, and, and come alive and say, how can I be something to my kids that somebody else is not? And, and allow it to be funny, allow it to be joyful. It's going to be more fulfilling for you as a parent, but also it's going to do a better job with your kids, right? It they're is. Going, they're going to have a better time growing up. It well, is. Well, yeah. parenting has to be the biggest demand for creativity. It, you know, writing, you know, writing symphonies, painting paintings, that's nothing. <laughs> Raising a kid, yeah, that's got to be the greatest demand on creativity. Yeah, and sometimes because we lose the creativity, we rely on everybody else's program to tell us what to do. Hmm. When God maybe has a unique way of us doing something with our kids that hmm. that uh, that we never tap into. Well, so me, what did you do differently as a parent then that well, your, your folks wouldn't? Well, have been I wasn't that good of a parent, you know. I mean, I, in one sense, but I would always try to have fun, and I was, and in one sense, I was told you're not supposed to do that. You need to have family devotions. You need to pray with your kids every night. You need to get them out of the bed. And, that's the program. And, yeah, that's the program, mm-hmm. and. And you know, I I just wasn't one that always fit into that. I and it wasn't that I just always wanted to have fun, but I wanted to connect with kids and and my own kids in particular. And so I wanted to do things in activities and and the number of times my wife always told me, "You're not the spiritual leader of the house. You're not this, you're not that." I just I went, I love my kids. I spend time with them. We do things together. I mean, they know how to do a number of things. In that, I talk to them about spiritual things. I was terrible at devotions. Mm-hmm. I just, they, and they always flopped at our house. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, so I began to really think, I'm not the spiritual leader, and I'm not these things, and I'm not. But you know, I am, and I was. It's just that God wanted me to be something different to my kids, not mm. the the normal thing. And mm-hmm. so we had a blast. And, and you know, I heard Cheryl Swindoll make a comment once. He said, what I want in my epitaph is that, you know, here lies Charles Swindoll. I was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's probably mm. no greater worship than, than this enjoying mm. You know, the time, even when we come into the studio, we're usually laughing beforehand. Yeah. Um, well, we have I, to serious up yeah, to get this yeah. <laughs> to get this done. That's, that's definitely but true. But we're laughing, and I go, what better worship 
in a, in a sense that God mm. has brought us together, yeah. mm. that God is doing something and we can and laugh and just enjoy. And the tendency mm. is, no, no, let's get serious. We got to do this. Let's yeah. get this, this. And I go so much time when our kids start to rebel in high school and all that, they start moving away because it's not fun. They mm-hmm. want to go someplace where there's active and engagement and relationship and somebody doing something. So I, I do think that parents can do some things to make home creative, to mm-hmm. do something different. And and I'm always big on practical examples on those things. Mm-hmm. I love just the practicality of things. Well, what are some of the things that come to mind as you... Uh... I'd have a joke night. I, I, You know, I would have a joke night at the dinner table that everybody comes to the table. Everybody's got to find a joke wow. off the internet and they and you, you can't spiritualize it. Mm-hmm. Just sit down and tell you go around joke. the table. You got to tell a funny joke. You know, and if my wife would even try to tell a funny joke. I'd be laughing at her for trying, trying to do yeah. that because because <laughs> she, she just can't do it. Yep. But you create the atmosphere that we can have fun, mm. and then you can talk about something else. Uh-huh. Because I think with kids, you need to learn to mm. make that transition into some other time. But it's through activity early on, and then it's moving into something where they can enjoy life as they go through their struggles as well. That you have a a, a, a jar at breakfast that has nothing but questions in it, and you make up the questions. And when you come and sit down and eat breakfast or whatever, whatever one day that is or two days, it you've got mm-hmm. to pull a question out of that pot and say, everybody's got to answer and the question. And everybody puts a question in, everyone submits. I mean, yeah. where do the questions come from? Oh, the questions may be, you know, what's the hardest thing you've struggled with? What's the funniest thing you've seen? What's the worst joke you've ever heard? What did you learn about God today? Mm. Um What's the one thing you got out of church three weeks ago? Now, that's an Ooh. interesting, yeah, that's an interesting question, but it brings it up and talk. What's your favorite old song? What's your favorite new song? What's your mm-hmm. favorite church song? Who, you know, you just ask anything about anything. Do you really think that that Santa's a bad guy? I mean, that, you know, if you move the letters around, you can create mm-hmm. the word Satan, mm-hmm. you know? But, I mean, you talk about those things and mm-hmm. not be afraid of them because your kids are talking about them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's going to engage people in things. Well, my guess is when, when a family can't laugh together, that's sort of a, a, a fundamental symptom that there, there's a unity that's not there. Yeah, you know, uh, I, it's funny. My the kids that I well, I have four kids, and my two older kids who who are, tend to be in a better place right now. The two younger ones are struggling. We laugh. The two older ones we laugh together more. Yeah, and it's it's funny just to hear you say that makes me realize. You know, I've got to laugh with my younger ones. We've got to do some fun things together. You know, something else I think of, yeah. Mike, in your own family is that your interest in astronomy. Mm-hmm. You've got how many? Families have a, have a telescope in the backyard, mm-hmm. the way the Card family does, and mm-hmm. you use that as a, yeah, as a they, rallying point for the family interest yeah, and learning. The, and the kids love, yeah, and creativity. The, and the kids love to do that too. Yeah, but but I, we actually went to uh, one of the counselors that we went to. His his diagnosis was you you guys need to have fun. You, yeah, she, he, she said it was actually female. She said, you know, there's nothing fundamentally wrong here. There's no no huge alarms going off. You guys just need to have fun. Yeah, you know, you and need I, to play. Okay, what is it that would that would just be funny? When I'm out skiing with my with my family, what would make it funny? Mm-hmm. What could I do different? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what I mean, it's just thinking. What would I think would be funny? What would look different? You know, it may be that that 
that Jan just walks up to me at dinner and takes it. She did this once. She takes a pie and just hits me right. She had made wow. this pie and she just plowed me in the face with it. <laughs> and it was funny. You can ask my kids, my daughter. And you didn't know it, it was yeah, coming. How did I didn't you know feel? it was coming. Wow. Well, it was so funny you because was my funny, wife right? would never do anything like that. So wives, if you want to get back at your husbands, hit them with a pie. Yeah. Mark, thank wow. you, I think, for coming well, into the studio today. <laughs> well, you wanted some creative thought. So you I, delivered. I mean, <laughs> but I think it's just more, how do you be creative? Just thinking through, what will your kids want to do to have fun? Mm. So. We hope you've enjoyed this classic session recorded at the Mole Inn Studio. It's our prayer that this hour of scripture, discussions, and music in this podcast were used by God to enrich your walk with Christ. If this is your experience, please email your reactions to us You can send your comments, song requests, or questions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. Information about today's guests and the resources we featured can be found on the podcast page at michaelcard.com. This month, we're highlighting a helpful Bible resource compiled by our friend, Dr. George Guthrie, called the Day-by-Day Chronological Study Bible. Look for the link for this at michaelcard.com or order your copy by searching for a day-by-day chronological Bible when you visit csbible.com. Be sure to use the promotion code in the studio typed with no spaces to receive your 30% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us for next week's current podcast release. For all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Carr.